The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Let's get started today. I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago, and it kind of stuck with me, and it kind of stuck in my brain, and which is weird because I forget things very easily, all right? And, uh, but this, this really stayed with me, and, and we sat down. We were at Starbucks, and um, he, he said to me, what does idolatry look like in our modern context, all right? And so today we're going to be talking about idolatry because I started to think about that. Like, what, is mod, what does idolatry look like in our context? I don't think about, like, like, worshiping an idol, right? Like, rarely will you find someone that you walk into their house and you're like, what is that golden image of an eagle? And they're like, that's my God, right? Like, that's not, that's not a normal thing, right? You're not going to come across that too often. And so what does that look like? And um, my son, it, it's, it's a really big deal. You see the first two commandments and the Ten Commandments are dealing with this idea, right? This idea of idolatry. And so it's a really big deal. And, and, and what is it? My son um, has something, uh, if, if, you've, if you've ever medicated your children um, before, let me tell you of the way we do it. It's through something called SpongeBob, all right? Do you understand? Like, like when we, my son can be having a fit, he can be having a bad day, a good day. You put SpongeBob on, like on the television, and he just goes, ugh. Right, and he just he eases out, and endorphins are released in his brain. And so, anyway, like it's amazing. Like I asked my parents, I said, "How in the world did you were you able to parent children um, before you had like an iPhone you could pull out and just put SpongeBob in his face?" And uh, my dad said, "Nyquil." And so, anyway, like so. SpongeBob, right? Now, I was watching the SpongeBob movie, okay, which I've now seen a thousand times, but in it, um, they're talking about idolatry. Now, listen, they're talking about this, this point where um, they said, SpongeBob and his friend Patrick, they said, we worship the Goofy Goober. The Goofy Goober's this big, like, pe- peanut man, right? And he says, and Patrick says, we don't worship him. They called him their idol, and he said, we don't worship him. And SpongeBob rips his shorts off, and he has underwear on that are Goofy Goober underwear. And he says, what do you call that? And Patrick breaks down in tears as he realizes. He says, that's worship, right? And so, so what, is, what is idolatry? According to SpongeBob, the great theologian, it is misplaced worship. That's what idolatry is. Very simply, it's misplaced worship. Jesus says that you can't serve money and serve God. So it's service, it's misplaced service, which is misplaced worship, right? That's a really simple idea. But then I came across Colossians 3, 5, which kind of rocked my world as far as this idolatry is concerned. And here's here's how it defined idolatry. It says, in covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. How is coveting misplaced worship? Well, what is Covington? What is Covington? Coveting. <laughs> what is coveting, all right? Like, that's not a word we'd regularly use, all right? Like, you don't sit around and say, man, I covet that Snickers bar, right? Like, that's not in our vernacular, all right? And so what is it? Well, it's important. Uh, you'll find it in the Ten Commandments. It's absolutely important. But here's the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments that you'll see. All of them absolutely are dealing with a heart issue, but, but they're usually like external things. Like, for example, when it's talking about other people, do not murder. All right, that's an external action that you took against somebody. Do not steal. That's an external action that you took against somebody. Do not lie. That's an external action. So, so you understand, like, those are all external. But then it says, do not covet and it goes on to say, do not covet your, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's. And so it's, 
this is one of the commandments that it really strikes at the core of a person. It really strikes at the heart. And so it's not saying that you have sinned, you have disappointed God when you go and take his wife. You have disappointed God when you go and try to take his wife. You've disappointed God when you lust after his wife. It's saying you have disappointed God the moment that you desire her. You have, missed, you, have, you have disappointed God the moment that you have desired, that, that your desire has now been misplaced somewhere it doesn't belong. Um, and so, why make a big deal about it? Um, the, I, I, co- coveting, the, the exact definition is to lust after or to long for with great desire. So again, the sin is a misplaced desire. You shouldn't have that desire for whatever that is. It's not yours. It's unattainable. You shouldn't have that desire. So why make a big deal about this, right? If this is an internal thing. Why make a big deal about it? Like that's something that seems you could be able to hide really easily. Why make a, a big deal about it? Why call it idolatry? Because of this. What do you do with great desire? There are two things you can do. Number one, the, the road less traveled is you can try to reject that great desire and redirect its affections, redirect that desire to something better, which we'll look at later. But most commonly, what do you do? You serve that desire. Let me give you an example. Um, if we're going to use the biblical example of do not covet your neighbor's wife, let's, let's just use that, all right? Um, so let's say, that, let's say that, that your desire is for her. What's going to happen with the way that you live your life? It's going to serve that desire. Maybe you're going to try to spend more time around them as a couple. Maybe you'll, you'll even start to breed jealousy between you and your, current, uh, and your current spouse. Maybe, you get what I'm saying? Maybe even you think it's a subconscious thing. Maybe you don't even think about it. But your actions will serve what that great desire is. Maybe you covet your neighbor's house. Maybe something that they own. And so what? As you start to look at your house, you become bitter. And maybe that begins to, uh, maybe you begin to, to start to work longer hours, neglect your family maybe to make more money so that you can add on so you can look like this other thing that you want whether it's conscious or subconscious you begin to serve what you covet your great desire so now now because your desire has been misplaced what happens with your life your worship becomes misplaced. Where your desire is, is where your worship is. Where your heart is, is where your worship is. So misplaced desire equals misplaced worship. Now, does this sound like you may be guilty of idolatry? Maybe when I first said idolatry, you said, no, man, I don't have any idols around my house, right? Like, I don't, I don't do that. I come to church, you know, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good old person, right? Like, I do, I do not have any idols. When it's defined this way, does this hit home with anybody else? It did with me. The idea that, that my desires can be misplaced, they can, they can move, I can have a great desire other than God on something else, and then my actions go to serve that thing, that's idolatry? Well, then yes, I've committed uh, idolatry. And so you think, well, I want God to be the object of my worship. I want him to, I want to have my worship not misplaced, but placed where it belongs with God. How do we do that? We're going to look at that right now. Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and uh, you can get the little white Bible under your chair. Page 811. Page 811 is that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take that with you. That's our gift to you. Romans, uh, Romans 12, 
verse 1 and 2. And they're gonna, that's going to help us answer two questions. Number one, what is true worship? I keep using that word, and that's absolutely a church word. What is worship, right? When I say worship, some of you are thinking completely different things. Some of you are thinking music. Some of you are thinking uh, uh, preaching. Some of you are thinking service. Some of you are thinking a lot of different things. So what is true worship, and how do we protect it? How do we protect it? If we, if we do not want our worship to be misplaced, how do we protect where it's placed? Look at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, let's break this down. Let's just do this. Is the best way to do it, let's just do it right here. Let's break it down. Let's use Paul's logic um, here in the scriptures rather than my own because mine is flawed. So here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So the audience that he's talking to are followers of Jesus. So the implication that, that, you, um, that you can't be idolatrous and be a believer is false. We absolutely all can misplace our desire and misplace our worship. He's talking to us, all right? And he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, uh, my, my old pastor used to always say, when you see a therefore in the Bible, stop and see what it's there for, all right? And so, let's see what it's there for. The first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul is laying out a doctrine, right? He's laying out his, the, the theology that we should live by according to who God is, according to what grace is. Um, And now right here is the turn in chapter 12 where he's beginning to say this is what it looks like lived out. This is all this doctrine here, all this theology. It's wonderful. It's amazing thing. It's an amazing knowledge. However, it needs to be lived out in you. And chapter 12 is the turn. And so um, let me give you, I think the summary of Romans, uh, the first 11 chapters is really summed up um, by, by Martin Luther. Martin Luther, here's what he said about the book of Romans. Night and day I pondered Romans until I grabbed grasped the truth. I felt myself to be reborn. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Uh, Martin Luther is, uh, he led the Reformation. He's the reason, um, he's one of the main reasons that um, we aren't all Catholic at this point. Uh, he led the, the Reformation. Um, and so, so anyway, you have him to thank that we don't ask you to get up and kneel a lot. All right, so um, let's look at, he, he had five solas, all right? And I think this really sums up the first 11 chapters um, of Romans. Number one, he said sola scriptura, which is by scripture alone. That's the only knowledge we need. That's the only wisdom we need is that of God's, which is found in the scriptures. Sola fide, which is by faith alone. We are saved simply by faith alone, not by works, not anything you can do can save you. It's simply a faith in what he's done. It's simply an acknowledgement of who he is and a trust in him. That's it. It's nothing you can do by faith alone. Sola gratia, which is by grace alone. You're saved because God is gracious, not because you deserved it. The, the reality is you are a follower of God because he's gracious and he, he granted you that. You're not a follower of God because, well, I did real good. I deserved it, right? Like he saw me and I think he saw how, how awesome I am. No, 
All right? He is gracious, and that's it. That's the only way you can come to him is because of his grace. Nothing you've done. Uh, Solo Christo, which is Christ alone. Um, So it's through Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's only through Christ that we can come to the Father. And Soli Deo Gloria, which is glory to God alone. We are followers of Jesus for his glory. We've been saved for his glory. The the byproduct of, of salvation is the fact that we can be with him forever. The main point of our salvation is his glory. It brings him glory to save us. It brings him glory to display his love for us as he did on the cross. It's all about him and it's all for him. And this is a great summation of the first 11 chapters of Romans. And if you believe these things, he's saying, if you believe what I just said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to appeal to you to do something. So if I just name those things and you said, yeah, I agree with all those, then track with me, all right? Like stay with me because this is for you. He said, if you believe these things and by the mercies of God. So the the summation of Romans 1 through 11 could very simply be summed up this way. The mercy of God. We are saved because of Jesus by his grace, by the mercy of God. But the mercy of God is displayed to us in what Jesus has done. He has taken the punishment that rightfully was ours and withheld it for his glory and for our benefit. So he's saying, by the mercies of God, by what you believe, by what I just said, 1 through 11, and by the mercies of God, how much he's done for us, here's what you should do. Because of this, you should worship him. He deserves it, and here's how you do it. What is true worship? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Let's look at these words real quick. Present. That's a genuine commitment. It comes from a genuine desire. It's not being forced. It's something you willingly do to present, all right? And we see it's a continual commitment. Present is it's a this is a this is a continual word. This isn't just a one time commit. Uh, uh, just just go ahead and I'm going to commit one time. Here we go. Hey Jesus, uh, you got me. You got all of me. All right, I'm good. I'm going to walk away. No, this is a continual thing. This is something that we do on a daily basis. I tend to float through life. I don't know if you're like that. I was telling someone last night. I have the gift of procrastination, and I have like the gift of super procrastination. Meaning, like I can procrastinate, and like I feel no stress over it, right? Like some people procrastinate, they keep putting it off and they feel like a lot of stress. They're like, oh, I should be doing that, but I'm just not. I'm too lazy. No, I like put it off and then like it could happen in 10 minutes and I could push it off another 10 minutes and just be totally relaxed because I'm like 10 minutes man that's like eight years away like I just don't I have a way of separating my mind some way like that and so I tend to at times float through life but here's the reality this is a commitment this is something that we do on a daily basis to present ourselves to God it's a continual commitment his mercies are new for your every uh, are new for you every day and so your response to him should be new every day am I saved now if I, if I don't do this tomorrow morning, am I still saved? Yes. However, to live this life, to offer yourself in worship to him is a daily commitment. He says, present your bodies. Now, this doesn't just mean your physical self. And we're going to see that here in these next, these next couple of words. Present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. And so I think when he's t- speaking to this audience, they're thinking Old Testament sacrifice, right? This isn't something that we see on a regular basis, but they've seen sacrifices. And what were sacrifices in the Old Testament? Maybe they could be an animal that was slain, right? An animal that was killed for a sacrifice. Or maybe it was offering the first fruits uh, of a harvest, 
Um, but in, in, anyway, the, the point is they're giving what they have to God to say this is completely yours and you do with what you will. And they were complete offerings. Do you understand what that means? They were complete. The animal was dead. It could give no more. It was complete. It wasn't like holding back, right? No, the animal's dead. Here it is. It can't do anything more for you. This is it. We're giving it completely to you. The first fruits have been harvested. They can't grow more. They can't ripen and more. They are what they are. They're yours. They're complete. If I could give you more of them, I would. They're yours. It's a complete offering, right? And so we ourselves must offer ourselves in that same idea as a sacrifice in completeness, right? So our energy, our ambitions, our intellect, our physical body, our, our moral faculties must all be offered to God in completeness, right? To offer anything else is not truly a sacrifice. So we must offer ourselves in a complete sense holding nothing back and it says living now listen an animal slain a living sacrifice an animal slain could offer no more and it could not be offered again it's 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 done it's dead it can do no more but this idea of living you're alive that means that you can be offered to God as one continual sacrifice your life is a continual sacrifice living it in that way he allows you to live as a living sacrifice and so that means that you can continually offer yourself to him you're, the offering of yourself will never grow old to him it will never be boring for him it will never it will never be inadequate all right it's that's what he desires of you a continual offering of yourself if you're saying man I don't know what God wants for me you know I need to figure out what I need to give him to to make me happy right you all right continual giving of yourself and he says what that it's holy and acceptable to God now if we're staying in that same mindset of a sacrifice holy and a sacrifice would mean that it was without blemish or or, or defect meaning it was the best it was the best set apart for God but we so often compartmentalize our lives and offer what's easiest to God our best that's easiest to God and let, let me illustrate this I will give God the best part of my life that I can easily let go of does that make sense let, let, me, let me illustrate like for example, maybe maybe it's service. Maybe it's an area of your life of service, and 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 maybe you serve in the nursery here at the church, and you say, "Serve in the nursery? Absolutely, I'll sacrifice that. I uh, I love kids and I hate Grant, so that works out great, right? Like I will I will happily go there. But then maybe you say, "Hey, um, you, you know, come to Fraser with us on Saturdays. Like meet here at noon. We'll go to Fraser and, and help these kids." And you go, "Oh, Saturday." Ugh, that's not ugh, that's not gonna work for me does grant go yes oh right and so uh, and so we give what's easiest to give up. Um, maybe like in your work relationship, respect my boss. You want me to respect my boss? That, that will honor God to respect the authority above me? Absolutely, I can do that because you know what? I like having my job. Respect my coworker? You mean the jerk who constantly thinks he's my boss and tells me what to do, but really I'm covering his behind because I'm doing the work that he's letting fall through the cracks? You want me to respect him and to love him and to serve him? I don't think so. Right? That's going to be difficult for me to do. And so we're to be holy sacrifices. That means the best, not a complete sacrifice and the best of, right? So not holding anything back in that sense. Give him your best in everything. So holy and acceptable to God. He just defined what's acceptable to himself, which is 
everything that you are, the best of everything that you are, which is your spiritual worship. So this is proper worship. This is not misplaced worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 gives us another definition of proper worship. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything in your life, if your worship is placed correctly on Christ, everything in your life becomes a tool for you to use in service of the glory of God. Everything in your life simply becomes a tool for you to use in the service of God. St. Augustine said this about idolatry using that same imagery. He says, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. And so everything in our lives must submit to our worship of God. If that's where your worship is placed, then everything falls in line with that. The the implication of this verse is so sobering. The The implication of this verse is that anything else that you present your body to, anything else that you serve outside of God is idolatry. Anything else that you present yourself, whether you you willingly give yourself to sin and rebellion, something you know is wrong and unpleasing to God, or whether you take something good and you serve that rather than God. I'll use an example in my own life, ministry. So many times my idol is ministry. And I think, well, this is a good thing. This is, this is in service of God, right? But my devotion is to the project that I'm working on, not the, not the glory of God that will be seen through the project I'm working on. And I've made that good thing an idol. I've turned it into something evil. And it all comes down to, again, my desires were misplaced. My desires were for that project to succeed more than the glory of God to be shown through the project. Does that make sense? My desires were misplaced. And so naturally because my desires are misplaced my worship became misplaced and I and and, and I practice idolatry well how do we protect this worship you say I want my worship to not be misplaced how do I protect it in other words how do we protect our desires look at verse 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect so do not be conformed to this world that word conformed literally means to be fashioned after and so it's a choice that we we consciously make to not fit into the mold that the world has and this doesn't just mean that you look like the world right I don't mean that like you know you see the way people are dressing on television you start to dress like them I don't mean that that's not what that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about uh, conforming to the world I, I think it means that don't think the way that they do don't set the same goals that they set right don't 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 serve the same ideas that they serve so it's a, it's a choice to not be conformed to not fit into that mold to to to, uh, uh, to go a different way well how do we do that how do we not conform be transformed by the renewal of your mind now the argument could be made that this this word mind means something quite bigger quite larger and and, and but I want to focus on on one aspect of this word mind I think right here let's focus on it meaning your intellect right meaning your ability to reason okay and how do you renew the mind and, and what happens there number one I think you give your intellect to the study of scriptures and God will change how you 
think. And what do you mean give your intellect to the scriptures? I think we give our intellects to a lot of different things. Some of you give your intellect to some pretty stupid things, right? And, and here's what I mean by that. I mean like there's some, there's some knowledge and there's some things that you study and you're giving yourself to that are ultimately not fruitful and they're not helpful. Let me, let me, give, you, uh, let me give you an example. And, and I'm, I mean they could literally be as silly as like television and media. I mean the fact that if, if you play like, like this is a sad thing about me. Um, try to play me in that game seen it the movie trivia i will destroy you all right i have given my intellect to the to media in some way right that is not a good thing but i'll give you an example um like some people, if you want to have a conversation and be well-read about politics, you have to give your intellect to it. There are ideas in politics that are greater than us. And you have to sit there and you have to think and you wrestle with it, right? Um, why, how come when we open the Word of God, we expect a Harry Potter magic moment, right? We expect to open the Word of God and just like fairy dust to come out and be like, I get it, Right? There are deep mysteries about the creator of the universe, the infinite and, and, and uh, the infinite God, right? And, and yet we come across things that, that frustrate us and, and we have to wrestle with them and we go, no thanks. And we don't wrestle with those ideas. And so give your intellect, wrestle with the scriptures. Think about your prize. What's your prize for wrestling with political issues? Uh, so you can look smart in an argument. What's your prize for wrestling with the scripture and seeking after the scripture? Gold. Your prize is the wisdom of God. It's gold. It's eternal. It's everlasting, right? And so we need to give ourselves, give our intellect uh, to, to the scriptures. But also it changes how you think in the sense of your worldview. It changes the way you look at the world. The lens that you look through the world with uh, is now changed. It's, it's, um, it's more towards the truth of God. Uh, the way that the world uh, looks at things and the way it shapes its worldview is mainly through experience and through feelings. But experience and feelings lie to us all the time. Have you ever had a feeling towards someone where you're like, I just know this person loves me and I know that they're the one. And what happens? They stab you in the back. Your feelings betrayed you. Or maybe you say, I just had a wonderful experience. And then, and then you try to, to do that same thing again and it's awful. Your experience betrayed you. Like the time when I was very little, we went to Disney World, and it was wonderful, and it was magical, and it was everything it was supposed to be, and Mickey Mouse was, you know, holding my hand the whole time. It was wonderful, and that's how I remembered it. And then later, we were like in seventh grade, eighth grade, or whatever, we went back to Disney World, and it was hell, all right? Like, it was literally like, like, I saw fire, right? It was just, oh my gosh, we fought every step of the way. It was awful. My experience betrayed me, right? But the truth of God will never betray you. The truth of God never changes. And so we need to have the scripture change the way we think about things. You can't simply give in to experience and emotion and, 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 and feelings. They betray you, but the word of God never will. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God never changes, his word never changes. So let it change you. One of the gods we serve most often is self. But through prayer, God changes the way you think about yourself. Through prayer, God protects us from pride and gives us humility. It gives us humility. Oswald Chambers says this about prayer. We have, to, we have to pray with our eyes on God, not on the difficulties. Prayer is not about changing God. It's about changing us. It changes our perception of ourselves. And we begin to see how large and how wonderful and how beautiful and amazing and powerful He is and His strength. And we start to take our eyes off of our own. And it changes how we see ourselves, And it reduces us in our mind in the sense that he is so large, I don't want to serve me. I want to serve him. 
and it keeps our eyes focused on him. Prayer protects us from pride and gives us humility. Thirdly and lastly, through service, God will change the way you think of others. Philippians 2, 3, do, not from, do, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is incredibly countercultural. And if you say, you know what, I just don't know what I know about service. I don't know what I think about going out and serving other people, right? Like, it's just, I don't feel like it. It's just, you know, it's just not in me, right? The way that God's going to change your mind about that is you go and do it. D.L. Moody said this about service. Some say, if only my fears and doubts will leave, then I will get to work. But instead, you should get to work, and then your fears and doubts will leave. I see it all the time of people that serve on mission with us. The people that come out on Saturdays and serve in Fraser, they come back and they're fired up and they're excited about what God has just done. You get to see the hands of God working. You get to be the hands of God hugging children and showing them the love of Jesus. If you want your mind to be changed about how you think about others, then serve them actively serve them. You want your mind to be changed about that coworker who's the jerk that we mentioned earlier? Serve that person and let God change your heart through the service of that person. Change the way you think about it. He wants to renew your mind and then what? Right here, let's, let's close it with this. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word testing is not what we think. That word testing is literally to experience the will of God. So when you offer yourself to God and you seek to have your mind renewed by God and changed by Him through Scripture and through prayer, you're in the will of God. And you get to experience it. How do I know if I'm in the will of God? I get that question all the time. Uh, Are you offering yourself to him? Are you worshiping him? Is that where your devotion is placed? Are you renewing your mind through scripture and through prayer and through experience and service with him? Is that what you're doing? Then you're in the will of God. You're in the will of God. And it says you get to experience what? And, and you get to experience the will of God that is what? It's good. It's good for you. It's how he designed it. It's acceptable. It's pleasing to him. It honors him. And it's also perfect, which means it's complete. It's not lacking. It will satisfy. It will bring contentment in your life. The will of God for your life. And so in conclusion, I have two questions that I want to make a habit of asking myself. And I think it would be helpful for us to ask all of us to make a habit of asking ourselves. Number one, this is a daily question. Who do you worship? Who are you, who, where, is, where are your desires and where is your worship pointed? Your worship's always going to be p- pointed where your main desire is. Where is that pointed? That's where your worship is. Who do you worship? And then is your mind being renewed? Are you in the scriptures? Are you in prayer? Are you letting God do something in you and change you? If the answer to any, any of these questions is not God, then the Bible says clearly you are uh, guilty of idolatry. Your devotion is misplaced, and so your worship is misplaced. And so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and, and before we take communion, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take um, time to kind of respond to what God is, is doing in us in, at this moment. But I want us to deal with these ideas as we pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, There are people in this room that, um, God, our devotions have been misplaced. They've been placed on things of this world. They've been placed on um, people or situations or some uh, some other goal that's not you. And because our devotions misplaced, God, our worship's been misplaced, and we're guilty of idolatry. Idolatry not only hurts your heart, but it hurts us. We don't get to experience. your will we don't get to experience what is good and perfect and acceptable 
And so God, if there are people in this room, Christians in this room who are dealing right now with, with some idolatry, maybe you highlighted something in their hearts. Would you, would you allow them by your grace to turn back and to re, refocus that desire onto you where it belongs? I'm going to ask with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you in this room, if, if, if that describes you, if you're a Christian in this room, I want to pray for you. Would you just slide your hand up? If God's convicted you of misplaced desire and misplaced worship, would you just slide your hand up and put it right back down? I see it. I see it. Father God, there are people in this room who want to serve you, who want to worship you with their lives. But God, something's come in and stolen that desire. It's stolen that focus, so it's stolen that worship. God, you've clearly shown us that by following you, that by presenting ourselves to you, by pursuing you through your scripture and spending time with you, that God, you can transform our mind. You can bring us out of that idolatry. You can break that in our lives. So God, I ask for that, for those people right now. Those who raise their hand, would you break that idolatry right now? Break that chain, break that tie and give them wisdom as to the steps they need to take now to make sure that chain never attaches around their neck again. Would you give them wisdom how to spend time in your word, how to spend time with you in prayer, how to submit to you, how to offer themselves to you, and how to protect themselves from that situation again. God, I thank you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, maybe some of you in this room, you, um, maybe, maybe your desire's never been with Jesus. Maybe your devotion has never been with him. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't know where you stand with him. You say, I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know if I've been forgiven. I'd like to, I'd like to pray for you. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, would, would you raise your hand? Would you just let me see your hand. You can put it right back down. Just slide it up. I'll see it. You can put it right back down. I see it. Put it down. Thank you. Father God, there are people in this room who they realize that their devotion, maybe, maybe it's never been with you. God, maybe, maybe they've been serving other things and, and God, their lives have been far from you. God, today, I, I hope that the attitude of their heart by them raising their hand is that they don't want that to be the case anymore. They want to serve you. They want to be your child, and they want to be forgiven. So God, my, my prayer is that they would surrender to you now. And they could walk out of here knowing that they've been forgiven, that they're your child. So God, would you work in their hearts now? Would you give them the courage and the boldness to say to you, I'm wrong, and I want to follow you. I want to trust what you've done for me on the cross, and I want to give my life.